I'm in the Sasquatch Encounter Discovery Museum. These two small, dark, and somewhat spooky rooms echo with tinny forest sounds and the occasional Bigfoot growl. Jim Myers, the museum's owner, walks me through a replica of an old cave with several displays about Bigfoot. So this little section here is on footprints, including these tracks. This is our map of Colorado Sasquatch sightings. And then into a faux forest where a nine-foot-tall Bigfoot lurks behind a tree. Our Bigfoot, who we call Boomer, and you would be shocked at how many people never see this. They come in the museum, they walk around, they leave, they never even see this Bigfoot standing here. And this is the centerpiece of the whole museum. If you weren't looking for him, you might not see him, which is kind of the point. If you don't spot him in this tiny museum, he might easily escape notice in the wild. To see Boomer and enjoy this whole cultural experience, you have to pass through the swinging saloon doors in the back of the Sasquatch Outpost, located in Bailey, Colorado, a rural community in the foothills of the Rockies. We, we learned recently that apparently the Denver Chamber of Commerce has a list of the dozen quirkiest places to visit in Colorado. We're number three on the list. We've come after the UFO Watchtower and the Antique Washing Machine Museum. Jim Myers has hazel eyes that sparkle above a neatly trimmed gray beard. He wears a felted cowboy hat and broken-in cowboy boots, and he is insulted, insulted, that his Bigfoot museum is considered less quirky than a bunch of old washing machines. But even so, it puts Bailey on the map, because it's not a place you'd normally pay much attention to. Blink, and you'll miss it. Unless, of course, you're looking for Bigfoot. I'm Laura Krantz, and this is Wild Thing. A series about Sasquatch science and society the search for Bigfoot, and why we want so badly for it to be real. I not only saw Bigfoot in Bailey, but I see Sasquatch all over the place. You know how when you start thinking about something and then you start seeing it all around you? Well, I see Bigfoot everywhere I go. I can't get away from it. Bigfoot is a shill, a consummate sales beast. Sasquatch is cash cow. A cash squatch, if you will. That's my trademark. You cannot have it. Businesses know that Bigfoot has big appeal, and he's making them some real money. Jim Myers and his wife Daphne took over the Bailey Country Store when the original store, established in 1878, went out of business. The Myers rebuilt it and reopened in 2013 with a new name, the Bailey Country Store and Sasquatch Outpost, after reports of a nearby Bigfoot sighting. And then because of that sighting, the show Finding Bigfoot came to Bailey. He's talking about the very popular Animal Planet television program about looking for Bigfoot. The show held an event in town and people around Bailey turned out in droves. When we saw this happening and we were rebuilding the store, we decided to call it the Bailey Country Store and Sasquatch Outpost. And about two and a half years ago, we dropped the country store and just 
went with the Sasquatch Outpost and its history from there. The Sasquatch Outpost no longer has groceries, just some hiking, camping, and fishing gear, and a lot of Bigfoot merchandise. Business has never been better. Yeah, yeah, I owe Bigfoot. He sold me a lot of T-shirts and uh, mugs and everything else. And there's a lot of people online that are selling Bigfoot stuff, but there's not that many physical stores. So. Then he added the Sasquatch Encounter Discovery Museum in April of 2016, and things really took off. More than 10,000 people have passed through. And that's going up. Obviously, more and more people that know about it, the more people are coming in. For a little two-horse town like Bailey, that's not bad. And Bailey is definitely a two-horse town. Not a place you'd normally stop. But a couple of well-placed roadside signs, a social media campaign, and a lot of good reviews on TripAdvisor have made the Sasquatch Outpost a must-stop for locals and visitors alike. Like in the woods? No, we're from Rhode Island, and we were getting breakfast next door, and we saw Bigfoot Museum. And They buy up T-shirts and stickers and mugs and pay the museum's $3 entrance fee. Myers takes Bigfoot quite seriously. He's had his own run-ins with Sasquatch and belongs to the local Bigfoot research group. But he could plainly see that Bigfoot appealed to a broader audience and was smart enough to capitalize on that. I knew that if it was only serious Bigfoot souvenirs, there was a certain percentage of the population never going to buy that. And we do have legitimate Bigfoot books and things in there, but a lot of it is fun, and that's what people want, is they want T-shirts, mugs, bumper stickers. Bigfoot saw me and nobody believed him. And I think America is infatuated with Bigfoot in a very real way. He's not the only businessman to see Bigfoot's marketing appeal. Bigfoot tires, Bigfoot bikes, Sasquatch bikes, Bigfoot coffee, Sasquatch chocolate, Bigfoot breath mints, Sasquatch snowboards, Bigfoot garden gnome, Sasquatch books, Bigfoot barley wine ale, Sasquatch, the music festival. There's a massive multiplayer online video game dedicated to the search for Sasquatch. And, of course, I can't leave out everyone's favorite, Bigfoot erotica. The upshot? Bigfoot is everywhere. Once you start looking, he's impossible to miss. But why do so many businesses get involved with Bigfoot? Obviously, it's a moneymaker, otherwise they wouldn't bother. But it seems to be about more than just money, because many of the entrepreneurs I spoke to have a little soft spot for this mysterious bipedal ape. For some, there's just something about the name. It's so fun to say, (laughs) Sasquatch! You're supposed to scream... Sasquatch, as if you're seeing it. Sasquatch! It is pretty fun to say. Others wanted to share their own vision of Bigfoot. I love the concept of Bigfoot very much because it's fun to give him a personality. Or we're trying to convey a certain vibe. You know, if I just opened a log cabin bar called The Lodge, well, it's just a log cabin bar called The Lodge, and that's kind of cool. But if it's the Bigfoot launch, it gives it that kind of darker, creepy element to it, a little bit more mystery. I'll say, especially since the so-called Bigfoot Lodge is not somewhere you'd expect, right on a busy street in Northeast Los Angeles. The dive bar is the brainchild of Bobby Green. I was born in 1970. And so... Growing up in the 70s, I think you were subjected to Bigfoot way more than the kids are today. 
and Bigfoot back then wasn't a funny character that that eats uh, beef jerky. He's referring to the TV ads for Jack Link's jerky. Jack Link's beef jerky presents Messing with Sasquatch. They've been running a popular ad campaign called Messing with Sasquatch since 2006. Bigfoot was really like, scary. Like you were petrified as a kid. And this the, this was the, the era I grew up. So to me, Bigfoot was something not feared, but it wasn't a joke. You know, it was it was kind of a serious myth. So anyway, fast forward to my 20s. I'm 28 years old and I'm opening my first bar. The Bigfoot Lodge opened in 1999. Green and I met there on a gorgeous sunny day in January. Outside, sun shining, birds chirping, traffic hurtling by. But inside, it's dark with log cabin walls and antler chandeliers. Taxidermy deer heads and other mounted animals dot the walls. And there's a big faux forest service sign for the Sasquatch National Forest. Not an actual national forest, sadly. But surprisingly, there's no fake mounted Bigfoot, no kitschy Bigfoot art. Green says he made that decision deliberately. If you go to like a Bigfoot uh, place in the Redwoods that sells gifts, there's Bigfoots everywhere. But you come here, you will, you'll never see a Bigfoot because you don't see Bigfoot. That's the excitement of it. That's the myth of it. It's a good dark spot for a drink, especially if you're sick of the eternal California sunshine. If I didn't know I was in L.A., I'd think I was in one of the lodges in Yellowstone or Yosemite, which, Green tells me, was his plan from the get-go. I wanted to open a bar in Los Angeles that made you feel like you were in Colorado or you were in New Mexico skiing or something like that. So I came up with the idea of a log cabin. And I think the generation that grew up with me uh, was the same generation that was coming out drinking when I was in my 20s. And Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Yeti were all amazing creatures. And I think that adding that to the bar just gave it a, a bit more excitement. Unlike the Myers and the Sasquatch Outpost, Green's not sure if the association with Bigfoot drew in more customers, since Bigfoot was always part of the name. But he doesn't think it hurt anything. Opening night was just slammed. I think I sent out 250 invitations to come to the Bigfoot Lodge opening, and I think 500 plus showed up. It was packed to the gills, and everyone just loved it. And every night after that, for years and years and years, it was just packed and packed. I, so whether you could blame Bigfoot for that or whether you could just blame the fact that people liked, you know, a log cabin, I don't know. But I, I'm sure that Bigfoot helped. This being L.A., there are, of course, movies playing silently on the screen at the back of the bar. The only criteria is that those movies be about Bigfoot, no matter the genre. And now, I'm going to need you to cover your children's ears for about 10 seconds. Ready? But we used to, one thing we really fun, we used to show, I got a hold of this porno from the 70s of Bigfoot uh, having sex with campers. And it was hilarious. And so we would show that from time to time. They were well ahead of their time. Who knew that Bigfoot porn would become such a popular topic and a political hot-button issue? Remember the guy who was running for Congress in Virginia who was supposedly into Bigfoot erotica? Yeah, it's a thing. Thankfully, the night I was there, they were showing a much tamer movie, Harry and the Hendersons. 
George, what is it? I don't know. I hardly saw it. But it's got to be a bear. Could it be a gorilla? Just the movie I'd want to watch while having some of the house Bigfoot drinks. The classic Bigfoot is a bourbon and PBR tall boy. So it's a shot and a beer. These are all beer and shot combos. Um, Bigfoot's grandpa, El Chupacabra, Bitter Bigfoot, Senior Sasquatch, and Bigfoot's dick, which is dickle, eight-year whiskey, and any draft beer. A lot of this is tongue-in-cheek. It's meant to be fun. But Green seems to have a real fascination with Bigfoot. So I ask him if he thinks Bigfoot's real. I completely believed in, in not only the Sasquatch, but also the Yeti. My parents would take us skiing when I was a kid. And I remember being up at the top of the ski lift and, and getting off. I'd be the only one up there the wind blowing, the, all the trees are moving. I was scared shitless. And then you'd want to get down the hill as fast as you could. Because a week earlier, you saw this yet terrifying Yeti movie on TV. But I think it's that feeling of being near a wooded area and that, that feeling you get in your gut, like, I think something's back there, you know? <laughs> and, that, and that's all you need. You don't need to see Bigfoot. I think it's scarier to not see Bigfoot. Green's not the only one to capitalize on that feeling. Every area has their own regional monster that is their monster. I'm from Ohio, and we always had Mothman on the West Virginia border down there. But it seems like Bigfoot has become the supreme cryptozoological monster of the United States. He's like the equivalent of the bald eagle for America. (laughs) He is. He's like, and (laughs) he's kind of a... He's kind of a bald eagle for an alternative United States of, you know, heroic weirdos and uh, smart folks that uh, understand what America's all about. David Wall works for a Washington state-based company called Archie McPhee. Don't think you're familiar with it? If you've ever owned a horse head mask or a librarian action figure or a cat head squirrel feeder, then you've had some Archie McPhee in your life. David Wall has been with them for 24 years and worked his way up to his current position. Director of Awesome. I am the Director of Marketing and Creative Services here. I am actually a Vice President of the company, but I chose Director of Awesome because Vice President of Awesome is lame. I would like to start with a tour just because... We're at the Archie McPhee Warehouse, about a 30-minute drive north of Seattle. The company is known for its gag gifts, novelties, and weird toys, and their 22,000-square-foot warehouse is chock-a-block with them. These boxes are full of horse masks, Bigfoot action figures, <laughs> uh, and tons of other novelty items, uh, rubber chickens. To store all of this stuff, Archie McPhee needs a pretty big space. Other than the Boeing buildings, this used to be the biggest building in this part of Washington State. And the Bigfoot line takes up a good chunk of it. Square footage-wise, cubic footage-wise, I would say about 10% of our warehouse is Bigfoot. So at least 30% of that is feet. And this is the Willy Wonka-esque part of the tour. Archie McPhee has put out a bunch of Bigfoot items over the past 35 years. Probably, I would say, at least 25 good Bigfoot products. And, it, and I have to say, like they've been almost all successful. 
the the Bigfoot products. Um, as I said before, but if we get the detail wrong, then it's very possible that it could be rejected. Rejected by the Bigfoot community. Not because it's a safety hazard, but because it's inaccurate. For example. Hold on for one second. Let me look and see if it's back here. Ah, here it is. So this is the Bigfoot Tiki mug. And as you can see uh, from the front, nice, little chunky, but nice Bigfoot. You turn him around and he has a lovely tuchus. Um, however, when we sold this, a woman called us up and said, um, you got Bigfoot's butt wrong. And she said, she saw Bigfoot on the side of the road and he jumped a muddy ditch, but he tripped on the other side and fell back. So she got both his feet and a bum print. And our mug that we worked so hard on did not match what that bum print was. So that was a very important moment for us in terms of our Bigfoot. So we knew from that point forward that Bigfoot's butt was almost as important as Bigfoot's feet. In other words, the Sasquatch people are not messing around. And, joking aside, Archie McPhee has tried to meet their standards. Because the Bigfoot fans are good customers. And the company wants to keep them happy. When you make something for people that care very much about something, if you get one detail wrong, they're out of it. They don't want it anymore. So we know from that point forward, if we did Bigfoot things, we had to take Bigfoot seriously. And Bigfoot, he says, has a huge fan base. Archie McPhee's Bigfoot line is one of its most popular. And consistent over time. Um, the only thing I think we've had that's been more consistent uh, is bacon. Bacon? Yeah, that makes sense. You know, we wait until we have uh, a good idea um, for Bigfoot. It's not like we're just pumping out everything that we can think of for Bigfoot. But when we enter something new, Bigfoot is always one of the first things we consider because his fan base is so huge. Wall takes me into the company's showroom, and Bigfoot stuff occupies a pretty substantial chunk of it. And this is all of our uh, Bigfoot products up here. Um, you can see everything from Bigfoot gift tags, Bigfoot wrapping paper. The display uh, is floor to ceiling, filled with just about any Bigfoot gift you could possibly imagine, and a lot of other stuff you've probably never even considered. My personal favorite, the Bigfoot research kit, and... I'm wearing one, but the Bigfoot enamel pin. Oh, and I almost forgot our emergency Bigfoot noisemaker, where we captured actual Bigfoot sounds. Lots of stuff to choose from, but the most popular item? All time, believe it or not, is our Bigfoot air freshener. Just in terms of pure numbers sold, um, we find the air fresheners are kind of an identifier because if you're, you know, in your car at Costco. And somebody's like, is that Bigfoot? Then you immediately can start the Bigfoot conversation. And it's an instant in. A conversation starter. Remember that. I'm going to come back to it in a minute. I ask Wall if he can give me a sense of how big the sales are for the Bigfoot line. We don't give out no sales numbers, but um, I would say he's probably about 5% of our product line at the moment. Oh, boy. If Bigfoot does ever show up and sees all the companies who've made money off his name or used his image, he's probably going to want a piece of that. If he comes out of the forest, he's one of the few people I would I, I think we do owe him money. <laughs> I think we owe Bigfoot we owe Bigfoot cash. I will personally take Bigfoot to the bank.
For as much fun as Sasquatch can be, there is some dissatisfaction with how some people make money off of Bigfoot, especially among true fans. Gunnar Monson founded the Sasquatch Coffee Company. Somebody owns a national trademark for coffee for using the term Bigfoot. So I switched it to the Sasquatch Coffee Company. Um, Sasquatch Coffee. Have you tried it yet? If his name sounds familiar, it's because he was part of my expedition out in the Mount Hood National Forest. We talked about the business of Bigfoot while sitting by the fire in our campsite. It's not the coffee, action figures, bars, or museums that are the problem. I think Bigfoot people actually gravitate towards that stuff. One of the companies out of Portland did a Bigfoot-themed beer, and I, I would always make a point of finding it. But cash and Sasquatch don't always go together. If you're presenting information about Bigfoot and uh, trying to make a buck off of it, that draws a lot of ire from the Bigfoot community a lot. There seems to be a, a negative connotation to anybody who's trying to make money off of research and Bigfooting other than you write a book. The problem, it seems, is the line between Bigfoot research and Bigfoot entertainment. A line that, like Bigfoot, is a little blurry. Serious researchers want Bigfoot research to be pure, uncontaminated by what's seen as the hype and drama of Bigfoot entertainment. <laughs> I, I bet you'll run into people who say that about you, about if you're, if you're making money off your podcast, somehow you're not a purist. Well, I'm not a purist, and I'm not making any money yet. But Matt Moneymaker has definitely gotten an earful from the purists, the founder of the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization and co-star of Animal Planet's hit TV show, Finding Bigfoot, is often criticized for hurting Bigfoot research by making it too Hollywood and for making money in the process. Not that Matt Moneymaker cares. The Bigfoot researchers who do make money off it are the ones who've been doing it most consistently, not surprisingly, and, and have gotten the information out to the widest and largest number of people. So when you take into all that account, the reason why Bigfoot is so popular now is primarily because of finding Bigfoot because of that greedy guy, Matt Moneymaker. I mean, come on. He's got the perfect name for the role of the Sasquatch capitalist. And yes, it is his real name, I asked. Part of me thinks he enjoys playing it up because he's very aware of how he's perceived. I've heard that for so many years, but that's just fine. I mean, I, I don't have to tell you the, the obvious the sour grapes involved in that. <laughs> you know? Anyway, sorry to sound so cocky about it. But he argues that he and the TV show he was on, Finding Bigfoot, have done more for Bigfoot's good name in recent years than just about anyone else. I always like to compare it to uh, Cosmos, Carl Sagan. They, they said the same thing about him when uh, he wrote the book Cosmos and then did the TV show. That, uh, um, th that oh, he's making money off it. This is just, you know, this is all just a capitalist. It's just greed, etc. Anyway, I think they would, people would look back now and think, you know, Carl Sagan didn't do any harm to astronomy. Popularizing Bigfoot, making it mainstream, getting the word out. He says that's what will increase the odds of finding the creature. The pure scientific pursuit of Bigfoot just isn't going to get the job done especially since there aren't that many bona fide scientists working on the topic. So Moneymaker thinks it's better to get people interested and get them out looking. The more people who are out doing things, trying to get footage, they are going to get footage. And they're going to get footprints and they're going to get sound recordings. And some people got it because of our show, because they had seen our show. And then when they had an opportunity, 
they got photos or when they got one on their trail cam, they knew what it was. So I consider that stuff a victory. And there was plenty of that. A victory for him in his own quest for Bigfoot. But the show has been a real victory for Animal Planet, too. During its seven-year run, Finding Bigfoot ranked among the channel's top three most popular programs and brought in millions of viewers. The first two years, it was pretty huge. You know, especially for us, we're Animal Planet. You know, we're just a smaller network. Keith Hoffman was the executive producer of Finding Bigfoot for the show's entire run. But this was not a show he'd been excited about working on. Uh, No, honestly, uh, the truth is I was new at Animal Planet and um, someone in development really wanted to do the show. And uh, there was a lot of resistance to it for the reasons, you know, you would think people were like, well, who would want to watch a show on Bigfoot? Um, Because it actually wasn't as as popular then. I said yes because I was the new guy. But uh, when I came onto it, I it wasn't like, oh, this is going to be exciting or successful. Turns out he was wrong about that. Started in 2009 and it lasted till this year. So it was seven seasons all, all together. So, um, and we did, did roughly around 100 episodes. And honestly, with every season, um, nobody ever thought it'd go past, you know, they'd be like, well, it's going to be one season and then nobody will want to watch it. And then, you know, well, be two and nobody will want to watch it. And, and uh, you know, we kind of defied critics even within the network. And the show stayed popular. People were always really fascinated by it. You know, against the odds, there was all of people thinking, oh, it's just the same show and they're never going to find something. It really held a very, very, very loyal viewership. At its peak, the show had about 1.6 million viewers. Moneymaker argues that Finding Bigfoot got Sasquatch out of the tabloids and turned it into a more serious subject. It was very taboo. It was socially risky uh, to talk about a Bigfoot incident, especially when there was the tabloids, like the Weekly World News out there, kind of mocking it. That, he says, made people want to keep quiet about their own Bigfoot stories. You know, we had credible eyewitnesses on our show. And that's the difference between the tabloid, which is a you know made-up story with made-up photos. And we really were interviewing actual witnesses at actual locations. It was a huge benefit to Bigfoot research uh, to have that show out there with all its flaws uh, because it got more people talking about the subject. In Moneymaker's opinion, the more of that, the better, even if it's sometimes tongue-in-cheek. It's having more meaning with people, and that meaning is closer to the meaning that it had for me as a kid. It really represented this kind of untamable, big, strong, wild, intelligent thing that eludes, uh, you know, human domination. There's another side to all this Bigfoot commercialization. The sticker on your car, the Bigfoot t-shirt, like the one you can get from the Wild Thing website, the hat or the coffee cup. If you're wearing that stuff or talking about it, you're identifying as a Bigfoot fan, whether or not you think it's actually real. I want to go back to something that David Wall from Archie McPhee said earlier about why the company's Bigfoot air fresheners were so popular. Because it's kind of an identifier. Because if you're you know, in your car at Costco and somebody's like, is that Bigfoot? Then you immediately can start the Bigfoot conversation, and it's an instant in. Bigfoot tchotchkes, says Wall, 
bring people together. And that's kind of one of the things that we love to do with our company is um, find stuff that we love that really connects other people together. So we use what we do to kind of cater to and create these little communities of people even where they might not exist before. For me, personally, Bigfoot has been a huge conversation starter. When I tell people I'm working on a project about Bigfoot, they're intrigued. They have questions. They have theories. They have their own stories. Some make fun of it and then spend the next 20 minutes asking for more details. Some are super serious and then spend the next two hours telling me what I'm missing. But I can count on one hand the number of people that have heard me mention Bigfoot and haven't wanted to keep talking. What intrigues them? What pulls them in? What fascinates them about this creature? On the next episode of Wild Thing, I'm going to try to answer that question and a few others. Oh, one more thing before I go. Drumroll, please. It looks like we finally have the results from the DNA tests. You're dying to know, aren't you? Are they Bigfoot nests or something equally weird? To find out, you'll have to listen to the final episode of Wild Thing. We're shamelessly promoting our own Sasquatch swag. Go to our website, wildthingpodcast.com. That's wildthingpodcast, all one word. You can get one of our awesome t-shirts and maybe ride away with one of those sweet Sole bicycles. We're also on the usual social media suspects. Find us at wildthingpod. And if you see Sasquatch in the wild, make sure to snap a photo, blurry or otherwise, and share it using the hashtag wildthingpod. This podcast is a production of Foxtopus Inc., Wild Thing is created, reported, and produced by me, Laura Krantz, with help from Kelsey Ray. Alisa Barba is our editor. Scott Carney is our executive producer. Our music is composed by Ramtin Arablui and mixed by Sanaz Meshkinpour. <laughs>